Well, Paul said, I want to know Christ. Five words at the center of the Christian church. It's possible to take um, all of the New Testament and slide them underneath those five words. I want to know Christ. If you read the Gospels, then you're you're introduced to a wide array of personalities. They're coming at you fast and furious. Some of them are Jews, some are Romans, some are Greeks, some are Africans. They're coming from all over the place. There's really no way to put them on a map. But if you were to map them, you could map them around one central thought. What did they do with Christ when they met him? Everything. Everything rises or falls on what a character in the Gospels does with Christ. If two people come from different countries and they live totally different lives, but they responded in the same way when they met Christ, they are similar. In ways that two people who come from the same country and act the same way, but responded differently to Christ, they're different. Everything in the Gospels revolves around the question, what do you do when you meet him? When you get into the letters in the New Testament, Paul's letters, John's letters, Peter's letters, the question changes from how are you oriented to whether or not you are united with Christ? And so Paul will speak about being united, these are his words, with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. Paul says, I want to know Christ. He says, I want to be found in Christ. He says, I am crucified with Christ. John says, we live as Christ. Paul says in Colossians 3, and when Christ, who is your life, appears, on that day, you finally appear with him. So in the letters, what you get is this language about this mystical union that a Christian has in the life of Jesus Christ. So that what happens to Christ is happening to me at the same time. Jesus is not crucified. Jesus and I are crucified. It wasn't just his death. It was my death and my resurrection. He doesn't have his life and I have mine. He is my life. Do you hear it? What nobody's talking about in either the Gospels or the letters is accepting Christ. Nobody ever tells us to accept Christ. Jesus is never portrayed in the New Testament as someone waiting outside of our lives with his hat in his hand waiting for us to accept him, to receive him, to let him in. He is portrayed in the Gospels as a fact 
into phenomenon. It's like lightning. When he strikes, people fundamentally divide. This is why John's gospel in the middle chapters repeatedly says, after he spoke, some of the people said, but others said. <laughs> you hear it? When he talks, people go one way or the other. And in John's gospel, those who are in Christ are being caught up in this union with him. How did we dumb this down? How did this whole thing, this mystery, this vibrant life, uh, all come down to whether or not a person has accepted Christ. So I was, uh, I was on break uh, back in May and trying to figure out the discipleship stuff in our church. And while I was there, um, uh, David Smith sent me an article by a guy named Paul Hebert, Christian anthropologist. I think he's deceased now. But... Um, Hebert, in his article, drew, he was trying to understand how are communities formed? How do groups come into existence? And, and what he did was draw a contrast between two communities. One he called a bounded community, and the other one he called a centered community. Now, a bounded community is determined by characteristics that all members inside share. They have the same origin. They came from the same place. They have the same habitat. They have the same practices, the same behaviorisms. This is how we determine species. Where did they come from? Where do they live? How do they get their food? How do they act? We're looking for similarities. You are inside the community or the species when your behaviors and origins are similar to one another. And they are different from those who are outside of your community. So, for instance, he said, if an apple is an apple, then it's round, it's red, green, or yellow, it grows on a tree, and it's a fruit. All apples are round, all of them are one of three colors, all of them come from trees, and all of them are fruit. If you find something underneath the ground that is not red, yellow, or green, and it's brown, it ain't an apple, it's a potato. Now you call it an apple if you want to, but it's not an apple because it does not have the same characteristics of all the other species. Are you tracking? This is how we organize teams. How did you get on the team? Well, I made the cut. 
in all of the team practices at the same time. They all have the same coach, the same mission, the same behaviorisms, and they all ride on the same bus. And so that makes the team a bounded community. Are you there? Man, you're quiet. Thank you. All right, this being you and me, Mark, right here. Now, a centered community is different. It's not the members of a centered community are not determined by whether or not they share common characteristics with other members and whether they're distinct from non-members outside the species. A centered community is determined by two things. Do you have a relationship with the one who is the center? And are you moving in that direction? So it's no longer about how are you behaving and what do you believe and did you have the same rights of initiation? Did y'all get in the group at the same way? Not about that. It's about do you have a relationship with the center and are you moving in that direction? Now you can start to understand what happens in the Gospels. This explains how the Pharisees can be right close to the center, but they are moving in the other direction. And it explains how Nicodemus, a Sanhedrin, is also close to the center, but he comes to see Jesus is moving in the right direction. You see it? Now you can understand how someone way out here like Pilate, <laughs> He's not inside the community, the Christian community, and he's not much interested, so he's moving in the opposite direction. But when you read Matthew 15 and you read about the Syrophoenician woman all the way down here, she comes to Jesus for a miracle and Jesus says, it's not right to take the food from the children's table and give it to the dogs. Let me translate that. You don't belong to the community. You're outside of it. She says, sir, even the dogs long to eat the crumbs that fall from the children's table. And Jesus says, holy cow. Oh, that's Greek. What he actually says is, I have not seen anyone in all of Israel that has faith like this woman. By the way, there's only one other person in the entire New Testament whose faith surprised Jesus. And it was the Roman centurion. Yeah, that's right. So there you have it. The two people whose faith surprised him the most are not inside of the bounded community. They're outside. But the difference is they're both headed towards him. Now, in a centered community, 
you must not think that there are no boundaries. There are boundaries. But in a centered community, the boundaries emerge naturally once we determine who is in relationship and who's moving in his direction. The boundaries are not determined by correct behavior and correct beliefs. They're determined by direction. Some of us are moving towards him and some of us are moving away from him or we're stuck. And the difference between those two kinds of people creates two categories. But the categories are not where you thought they were. Are you still there? Now, it is possible. In fact, it's even likely that over time, an organization or a religion, church, that starts out as a centered community will evolve to become a bounded community. They never do this on purpose. They just stop talking about the center. And all of their arguments is about the boundaries. In a centered community, you are always defining and maintaining what the center is. In a bounded community, you're always defining and maintaining the boundary. What separates those people inside from those people outside. And as an organization takes its eye off of the center and it starts to assume that, okay, yeah, we all love Jesus here, let's move on. Then after a few years, we'll start to presume that. Well, everyone who comes into our church knows we love Jesus, now move on. We will start losing touch with the center. Whenever you're in a meeting and someone starts to restate the center, even in the church, you get this kind of nervous restlessness. Yes, yes, we all know that. No, we actually don't know that. We've memorized that. We can say that, but we do not know the depths of the things we just said. Because if the things we just said about the center are true, we shouldn't sleep tonight. These are realities that rattle the fillings in your teeth. You can't just say them and then move on to some other agenda. They consume you. And on the day they stop consuming you, your attention shifts to the boundary. Who's in and who's out? And how do we know the difference? Now, when that happens, typically, we'll reinforce the boundaries. We'll make sure everybody inside and everybody outside knows where they stand according to the boundaries. And the way that we do this is twofold. One is through principles. And by principles, I mean 
What are the non-negotiables? You have to believe this and you have to do this or you can't get into the community. And so in the Jewish community, the non-negotiable was circumcision. You want in? Go see your doctor. It starts there. And it's determined by uniformity in practice. Do you really belong to us? Well, are you practicing the law? The other thing that we do uh, outside of putting principles here is I call them pit bulls. We put pit bulls out here. Um, I called him this because in Paul's words, he says in uh, Philippians chapter three, those, uh, those dogs, he's talking about people that are trying to get into the community and those that are already in the community. And he says, those dogs, those mutilators of the flesh. And when I read that, I thought that's a pit bull. So I, I like each night when I go for a walk or a run, I go by same house. Dude's got a dog that comes out all the time. Not a pit bull, but he comes out. He does not care what I do before I get to this house or after I get to this house, but when I go by this house, he comes running out, barking. He's a little thing, he's like a bug. But he's loud. He's protecting the boundary. He's saying, you can go on the sidewalk, but you don't get in this yard. You get in this yard, I'm going to take your leg off. Of course, he can't take your toe off, but that's, he, it's a bounded community. So what happens in the church is we determine how people inside the community act, and then we set up principles and say, if you want to get into this community, you have to accept Jesus as your personal Savior. You have to be baptized, not just sprinkled, baby, dunked. See it? And now that you're in, let me tell you how members act. And then we start rolling out all of the rules. Well, we don't go here, we don't go there, we don't do this or that, a whole line of rules. And then people in the church watch us. What was that movie rated? You social drinking? I need to have a conversation with uh, some of the members. You're, they're pit bulls. They're protecting the boundary because they're, they're worried about consistency. They're worried about the integrity of the organization. This is a great thing. But there's two ways to maintain integrity. One is to pay attention to the boundary, and the other is to pay attention to the center. But all their attention has gone to behaviorisms on the boundary. By the way, 
uh, the newest generation right now, and by that I'm talking about people in their 20s, um, they have a problem with legalism as our generation did, only the topics are different now. Topics are no longer um, movies and um, the social drinking and uh, even sex before marriage. No, 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 that's fine, that's fine, that's fine. Um, But now it's, uh, do we have the right um, agenda? Do we have the right social views? Because I don't know how a person could believe in Jesus and not believe in open or closed borders. I mean, if you're a lover of Jesus, why do you continue to use plastic? You know that damages the earth. You should use paper. You say, same thing. (laughs) It's the same thing. It's, it's still a bounded community. <laughs> All right, it's deep in here. I'll move on. Now we can understand what Paul is saying inside of Philippians chapter 3. Israel started as a centered community. It did not start as a bounded community. The law in Israel came hundreds of years later. Israel was founded when the Lord said to Abraham, leave your country, leave your father's household and go to a land I will show you. That's how Israel started. The Lord said to Isaac, don't go down to Egypt. You stay in the land I put you. The Lord stood on top of a ladder and said to Jacob, I'll be with you wherever you go. And the Lord God called out to Moses from the center of the bush. What is at the center of Israel's religion is not a law, it's a presence, a living, speaking presence. Israel is Israel, not because she believes God spoke once and then we wrote it in the law, but because she believes God speaks He still speaks in real time and humans can hear his voice. If you take that out of Israel, all you have is another religion with a different holy book. But when you say God speaks in real time and ordinary people can step into his living presence, now you got another religion on your hands. This is how Israel began. But over time, what happened was all of its attention shifted from redefining the speaking voice to understanding the law. Are you keeping the law? Are you doing all the rules? Do you have it right? And then they put watchdogs or pit bulls 
to guard people and say, we all know that anyone who is a true Israelite has been circumcised and they all practice the Sabbath and they all do the law that Moses told us to do. And they assume that the center is what it always was, but it is shrinking every day they ignore it. The power of their religion is in the fact that God speaks in real time and not only prophets can hear him. A point I'll make on another day, probably a third of the people who heard God's voice in the Old Testament barely believed in him. They didn't even believe in him. And they heard his voice. <laughs> That's key to the religion. And what happened to Paul was, he said, I was riding on a road to Damascus one day. And while I was on that road, I was so confident, so ensconced inside of a bounded community. Why? I was circumcised on the eighth day. There was the right of initiation. I had the right last name. I was a Benjamite. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. As for the right cause, I was persecuting Christians. I was a member of the Reform Party known as the Pharisees. I was everything, every member in the bounded community admired. I was the whole thing. And then I heard a voice. And the voice said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And I turned and said to the voice, wait for it. Who are you? Who are you? Who am I? I'm the one who started your religion. I'm the one who called out to Abraham. I called out to Isaac and Jacob. I called from the middle of the bush. That's your whole religion. And you say, who am I? Son, what do you have hold of here? You see it? How did a system become more important than a living presence and a speaking voice? And so what happened to Paul was even though he grew up with all of that stuff, but he was turned away on the road to Damascus when he met him the orientation of his life changed. It was no longer about a system. And this is why Paul said, everything that was once important to me, we'll just tone it down here, is garbage. The actual language is far more graphic. Everything that I grew up in, everything that determined who was in and out, who was spiritual and not, is complete trash. 
compared to knowing him. So in Philippians 3, the language all changes. I had all this stuff. Now, I just want to know him. I want to gain him. I want to become like him. (laughs) Do you see it? The whole thing shifts from I want to be really good in my religion to I want to really know that person. And that's what determines who the really great people are. All right. We're coming to the end and I want to uh, make a few observations about our church and then um, we'll transition. One is um, when I looked at this and I understood that what was happening to Paul has happened to me. All the right pedigree. and But people... There was something lacking in all of the pedigree. It just wasn't there. And then one day, I, a religious person, I met him. And it changed the orientation of my life. And so what I want for our church right now is that we would spend as much time talking about the center as we spend talking about the boundary. Why is it every four years when the Wesleyans meet, all of the arguments are about the boundary? Membership commitments. And let's face it, the only one we're worried about is drinking. Because that determines who's in and who's out in the Wesleyan Church. What I want is I want equal time defining the center and talking about what it means to know Christ. This is not a mere set of facts. This doesn't mean I went to class and I learned about Jesus. To know Christ means I think like Jesus thinks. It doesn't mean, oh, I can read his words in the Greek. It means I can read his mind. I know how he thinks because I've been with him enough times. And so even if there's a subject that comes up and he said nothing about it, I still know what he thinks about that because our minds have grown together over time. I know him. I know him. To gain him speaks of a value system. It's an accounting term in Philippians chapter three. He simply says, everything that used to be valuable is now crap. Everything that used to be crap is now valuable. My entire value system has been inverted. And so when we gain Christ, we are having our value systems subverted by newer systems. Stuff I used to think was great and cool, everything I wanted to be, I don't want to be that anymore. I want to be something else. My desires, my instincts, all of it's been changed. I have new appetites. And when he speaks about becoming like Christ, 
It's not talking about merely imitating him. He's talking about absorbing his personality into our own. Whenever a child or a, a young adult acts in public, the look at the boy or the girl and then go, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. When he does that, he's like his dad. He's like his mom. Ah, they don't mean <laughs> he imitates his mom. They mean the actions are really his actions or hers. But every time he does it, his mama is channeling herself right through that boy. You see it? That's what he means by becoming like him. There is a growing semblance between him and me. And I want this for everybody in our church. I'm not worried about the boundaries. Some of y'all are, but I'm not worried about them. That being said, and I want to be clear about this, just because you hate the boundaries, just because you hate the membership commitments, doesn't mean you love the center. You just hate weeds. You don't love flowers. You're not defined by the things you hate or resist. You're defined by the things you love and are trying to imitate. So if you've sort of had it with Wesleyan membership commitments and you consider membership commitments to be pure law, and I don't know why we have those things, because, oh, it is harder to be a Wesleyan than it is to be in the kingdom of God. Times I've heard that. Somebody said that 30 years ago. We all thought it was clever. We've been saying it ever since. The problem with it is it's a crock. It's a crock. It isn't true. You don't like these commitments? Try these. It was the Wesleyans who said you can't have an affair. Jesus said, if you look at a woman in lust in your heart, you're already having an affair. That's harder. Wesleyans say tithe. Jesus said, God owns it all. The Wesleyans say, you be polite. And Jesus said, you can't be angry with a brother or you're subject to judgment. So it gets serious fast when we shift from these commitments that we dismiss and we start focusing on this. This is why <laughs> we have members who still lust. I bet that 70, 80% of our men under 50 That's all right. That's all right. Do you drink? Here. Don't tweet this.
if you get to the place where every waking minute of your life, you are consumed in a passion to know him. If you can say from the bottom of your heart and you can mean it, I do everything, not some things or most things, every moment of my life, I consciously do it to the glory of God in Jesus Christ. You drink what you want. reason we have these commitments is because so many of our members are moving the other direction. Last, and then I'm going to turn it over. I'm not going to unpack this. I'll do it next week. I, I promise I'm not going to unpack this. As I started to think about, um, Lord, how, what does it look like to move to the middle where Christ is? What does it mean to be obsessed with Christ? What does it mean to, for him to be the most famous person in the room, for us to take up things because Jesus is in them, for us to let go of things because he's not in those things? Give me some practical ideas. Three things came to mind. I shared these with the board. I'll unpack them next week. One of these is a commitment to the word of God. I cannot know Christ and remain illiterate in the word. He is in the word. He is the word. When the word is read, he walks amongst the people again every time. It's not just a record of that. It's his presence the gospel, wherever the gospel is practiced, Christ is present there. And they will come to me and say, Lord, when did we see you poor, hungry, naked, or in prison? And I will say, when you did it to them, you did it to me. Every time we practice gospel in the community, Jesus is present in that moment, physically tangibly present in that moment. Third, the church. The church is the body of Christ. The church is not like the body of Christ. No, no. It is the very body of Christ, the very flesh 